have a confession to make this morning. I'm not sure if it's possible to be high on cough drops and chloroseptic, but if it is, I'm there. I'm there. So bear with me this morning as I uh, really don't feel near as bad as I sound, but I um, <clears throat> want to do my best to, to get through and uh, it might even hurt your feelings. I might have to cut a little bit and go a little bit. I know y'all are all sad, very sad if I have to do that, but um, we'll do what we can till as long as my voice holds up. We're in week two of a month-long series called Mayflower Misfits, and so we are looking at the pilgrims, you know, the ones that we think about once a year and their nice little black and white outfits and um, all of that. Squanto and the pilgrims and, you know, all that stuff. And so <clears throat> last week, the message title was Too Pure for the Puritans. And we're looking at the very background, the beginning of, of where this whole thing happened. And so um, we looked at and um, the, the, the things surrounding the beginnings here. We looked at the fact that in the Church of England, there was a lot of turmoil going on. They had broken away from the Catholic Church, but now they had the king as the head of the church. And there were some people that said, we need to clean this up a little bit. And, and they were called the Puritans. That was not a name they gave themselves. It was a name that other people gave them, kind of like a Holy Rollers type of label. And because, they're like, oh, you think you're too, too pure for us. We're not good enough. But they were trying to purify the church. But then there was even another group called the Separatists who said, we can't even hang out with you Puritans because that whole church, it's, it's just too far gone. We can't even try to reform it. And we're going to do our own thing. And so groups of these Separatists started popping up all over the country of England. And so um, <clears throat> we talked about some of their beliefs and how that started. And each week what we're doing is, it's not a one big history lesson, it's looking at some passages in the Bible that, have, that, uh, that inform some of their decisions and then looking at what do those scriptures say to us today. And so we talked about last week how we read the verses about come out from among them and be separate, how that caused them to have some separate uh, meeting grounds, but we talked last week more about how it involves us being careful about being unequally yoked, throwing our lot in, in close, tight, binding relationships with unbelievers that might influence us in the wrong way. So that was last week. Uh, this week, uh, the, um, the title is called Quiet Life Ambition, Quiet Life Ambition. Now, that's rather a... Uh, strange phrase. I don't, have any of you ever heard of quiet life ambition before? I mean, I'm, I'm sure it's not original to me. Someone's thought of it before, but it's odd for a couple of things. Number one, <clears throat> quiet life and ambition don't seem to go together. And number two, the passages we're studying are coming from the apostle Paul, and he commanded this quiet life ambition, and yet all of us would say the apostle Paul did not have a quiet life. So what is this all about? What's he telling us? And that's what our, our two passages today are going to be. I want to ask if you would please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. And um, can we start with the, um, yeah, that one will work. This is from um, 1 Timothy chapter 2. I urge then, first of all, to pray for all people, ask God to help them, 
intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority, that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. Then people who are not Christians will respect the way you live, and you will not need to depend on others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you for your word and um, for what it says to us. God, we pray these things um, will be come into our lives and, and would just touch us and make us more like you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so these two passages in 1 Timothy and in 1 Thessalonians have a common, uh, a common word here or a phrase, and it's quiet life. Quiet life. Some translations say make it a goal to have a quiet life. Others say aspire to a quiet life. But my favorite translation I read said make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And a lot of times preachers will talk about now we have a Greek word that doesn't mean the same thing as an English word. But really, it really matches almost perfectly. That Greek word for ambition means the same thing it does today, just you know, going for something, having a drive towards it. And Paul says, have an ambition. And in his day, just like in ours, people would have expected, oh, an ambition. That's someone trying to build themselves up. That's someone trying to puff themselves up, trying to be over everybody else, trying to be a big shot. And instead of that, he says, instead of having an ambition to be out there and everybody know your name, he says, have an ambition to live a quiet life. In both of these passages, Paul talks about making a quiet life your goal. We need to go for a quiet life. And he taught um, the early Christians about a quiet life. Number one, uh, first thing, pray for everybody, especially those in authority. If your goal is to seek a quiet life, you need to pray constantly. And he says, pray for everybody, but especially for kings and those in authority. Why is that important if we want a quiet life? In other words, when he says quiet life, he means what we would call freedom of religion. He wants us to be able to worship God uh, all out as we want without other people sticking their fingers in and telling us, no, you can't do this and that. We just want to have the peace and the freedom to worship God. And Paul says, make it your goal to live a, a quiet life. Number one, pray for everybody in authority. Why do he say that? Why pray? Because those in authority have the ability to affect your life. Paul, uh, he lived in a world there where democracy was, was not there. I mean, it, it wasn't president. It was emperor. Uh, it was king and emperor. It was, you do what I say. And they could very easily take, give and take away the freedom to worship. And so Paul says, every Christian, we should not take that for granted. We should pray for our government, for our leaders, that they will uh, continue to they'll have, give us the freedom to be able to live uh, a quiet life. And then number two, if we're going to have a quiet life, Paul says, don't do anything that would reflect badly on the gospel. Don't do anything that would reflect badly 
on the gospel. Because, see, when, when you do things that reflect badly on Christ or on the gospel, uh, then, of course, people are not going to look so well at Christianity. Uh, they're going to say, oh, that's not a good religion. That's not a, a good faith. And if we want to keep having the freedom that we need to do, we need to make sure that we live the right way. Not only do we pray for God to do what only he can do, but we do what we can do in upholding the Christian faith. And so he, he kind of gives us three different um, things under this category. Number one, don't be a troublemaker meddling in other people's business. Don't be a troublemaker meddling in other people's business. There are a lot of believers out there um, really of different faiths, but honestly in the Christian faith, who think it's their job to be the moral police of the world. It's their job to insert themselves uh, into everybody's business. And that is so dumb. Uh, even in the Old Testament, in the book of Proverbs, it says somebody who, who um, meddles in an argument that's not their own is like a guy who grabs a fierce dog by the ears. Uh, you don't want what you got a hold of. You're going to end up getting yourself in trouble. And so Paul here is talking about, you know, how we live, and he says, um, live this life. Mind your own business. Mind your own business. Don't go out of your way. Folks, what did Jesus say about judging others? What did he say about the splinter you're trying to get out of someone else's eye with the log in your eye? Our focus should be on our holiness, not on trying to tell people where they fail, but looking at ourselves in humility and honesty and saying, hey, here's what I need to do differently. So to not reflect badly on the gospel, first of all, you don't be a troublemaker. Second of all, don't be a freeloader. Don't be a freeloader that's leeching off other people. Now, <clears throat> you think about these verses, and he's He's talking about minding your own business and working with your hands and not being dependent on others. He says, you know, Paul knows what's going on here. Anytime people do, are really good and generous, somebody tries to take advantage of them. And the early church was incredibly generous. They were always looking out for other people who had needs to build them up, to help them along. And, and Paul said, you know, I know that there's going to be people who are attracted to Christianity, some of them for the right reasons, but some of them for the wrong reasons. And when they see this as a really generous people, they're like, hey, I can show up and just tell everybody I love Jesus, and, and they'll all take care of me without me having to bother and Paul says, never have that attitude that you're going to sponge off and live off other people. Do we all have times where we need help? Absolutely. And sometimes that might be financial or, or emotional help or just friendship, support, whatever. All of us have times in need. And we shouldn't be so prideful that we won't allow others to help us. But he's talking about people who simply want to freeload. They simply want to get along off of other people's efforts. He says, don't be that way. As a Christian, we should have strong work ethic that keeps us, that other people look at us and say, man, you know, I, I think well of that man. I think well of that, uh, that family. I, I think well of her. I think well of that teenager. Whoever we're working for, uh, they respect who we are and what we're about because of our hard work ethic. 
And then third, under this idea of not doing anything that would reflect badly on the gospel, he says don't live an immoral life that would cause people to reject Christ. He tells us here in 1 Timothy that we need to live quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is a really, really important part of this whole quiet life thing. Because quiet life, if it's not understood properly, can equal compromise. what everybody else does in this world. I'm going to live by everybody else's morals and standards. This thing pop out. Let's see. It'll turn back on. Got it? No? All right. We'll just stick with this one then. And so um, God says, you're to live a quiet life in all holiness and godliness. That is this life that I've called you to live. That it needs to be lived in a way that honors me. Not just I'm quiet in that I do what everybody else says to do. No, I'm, I'm trying to not mess with anybody. I'm not trying to get out there and, and build myself up over anybody else. But I'm going to live by God's standards. And sometimes our lives become not so quiet at that point. Because other people who don't accept the truth of God's word... They don't like the way we live. There's nothing we can do about that. But we seek to live a quiet life. That was Paul's goal. And it would be our goal, should be our goal as well. Now, so Paul gave them this quiet life ambition. How did this affect the, uh, the pilgrims that we study? Now, last week we left off. We talked about that whole, they had decided... There was these groups of separatists coming up, and we said there was a particular one at a little English town called Scrooby. And uh, it's just like Scooby-Doo, but you add an R in there. All right, so everybody say that with me. One, two, three, three, Scrooby. Okay, so Scrooby was where this little church was, and all the folks at Scrooby, uh, they were trying to do just this. They were trying to worship God. They weren't out protesting or you know, or, or do anything. They, they simply just wanted to live um, for Jesus the way that they felt that they should. And so they were meeting in a home and doing their Bible study, and we would say, well, what was wrong with that? Well, at that time and place, that was a big deal. Because to reject the Church of England to the king, that meant, oh, you're rejecting me and my authority. And so they began to be persecuted. Not only them, but many other separatists, but Things like, um, of course, name-calling, that was just the very bare minimum of it. But pressure from society and the people they worked with and did business with. And some were even beginning to be imprisoned. And they started dealing with this over the course of the year. They didn't just, you know, the first time somebody got thrown in a jail or, or somebody got something said sideways to them. They didn't say, oh, we're gone, we're out of here. But these things started happening over a period of years. And they started thinking, you know, we love England, we love our country, but we love our God and we want to worship him in freedom without being thrown into jail simply for for worshiping together the way that we believe that we should. And so they ended up 
working on a plan. It took them a couple of years. And they moved to what we would call Holland, or they called the lower countries. And there, as they moved, that was, not everybody remembers this, but they didn't go straight from England to America. We'll get there next week. But they moved first to Holland because it was a place of religious tolerance where they allowed people of a lot of different faiths. And so they moved there, and they settled in there, and they were able to worship freely. Why didn't they stay in Holland? Again, we'll get there next week. Why they moved again. But their idea about this quiet life ambition was basically this. They weren't trying to cause trouble. They were trying to worship God. And they did that as long as they possibly could in England. But it got to this point where their members were being harassed and thrown in jail. And they just couldn't live life. And they said, we got to do something. How can, we, uh, how can we escape this persecution and yet but not compromise to escape it, not tone down what we're doing for Jesus, still live for him, still stand for him, but yet not put our families under this. Is there a way out? And for them, they found that way out in that first move away from England to Holland. Now, how does all this apply to us today? Well, a lot of it is the same as just what the, uh, what the Apostle Paul said to people uh, in Thessalonians and said to Timothy a couple thousand years ago, we need to pray for everybody. Folks, we all know we just had an election. We're going we're to have some runoff elections pretty soon. Who we elect, uh, it, it matters. Who's in control, who's in charge, that matters. And so there's something additional where Paul and those early Christians, uh, those people in Thessalonica, they couldn't vote. They had no opportunity to vote as well. But today, if the Apostle Paul was here, I could almost guarantee he would say pray and vote. Because this was doing, asking God to do his part in praying. But he also said, let's do our part in how we live. So certainly he would have said, yes, pray for the people who are in charge. But also you have a sacred right and responsibility to vote. We're here, uh, again, we've already emphasized that this is Veterans Weekend. That right that we have to vote uh, was bought at a precious price. There have been many who have shed blood and even given their own lives for this country that we might have that ability. We need to take that seriously. If we're going to live the kind of lives that God wants us to live, that we live them out the best that we can, but we also pay attention to the world, the government around us, and we pray. And like I said, I think in this day and age, we could certainly say, and we vote. We do what we can do. What people in Paul's day really had no influence over, we have an opportunity to influence. So... We should pray for our leaders. We should recognize the privileges we've been given. Certainly all the same things apply about not doing anything to reflect badly on the gospel. We still need to live lives uh, that are pure, that are peaceful, and that are productive. Uh, no one should be look at our lives and say, hey, that's a joke. They say this, but they live this way. Or they're a joke because they don't, they don't do anything. They're just freeloaders. No, absolutely not. 
We don't need to be troublemakers or freeloaders or those who live immoral lives. How else does this apply for us today? I think it applies for us as well. As we come to the idea and to the thought uh, of how do we treat those who are refugees for their faith, those who are seeking asylum. Now, I know you and I are not in Congress. We don't make the laws. We're not in government. But again, we do vote. We do elect folks. One of the most controversial things in our world today is, is the, in our country today and in the world as well, is the idea of, of immigration and the idea of refugees and, and how many come in and how many do we shut out and how do we make those decisions. I'm not here to give a comprehensive political answer to that. But I'm here to say that as Christian people, on the one hand, we certainly understand that it is the job of a government. The Bible tells us to maintain peace and order. And so all those things have to be thrown into the mix when we look at this subject. But we also have to look at the side of this, that as a people of God, throughout the Bible, we have seen people either immigrants or refugees. Father Abraham, God said, go to a land I'll show you. And he left from the Middle East area, the area of Iraq or Iran, somewhere around there. He was over there and he, he came over and he immigrated and he stayed among strangers. And eventually, you get on down to Joseph and that great famine, and people end up, and the whole nation of Israel is saved because they're able, the, the, just the small part, it's just in seed form, those 12 tribes, but they move down there and they stay in Egypt for 400 years where they grow and they grow and they grow, and eventually God leads them out. We even look at Jesus himself, who was a refugee because of religious persecution, because Herod had said, I'm going to take out this king of the Jews. And we see that he himself and his family went down and escaped to Egypt and were there until it was safe to come back. And so as we look at what the pilgrims did, as they left their country to find another country where they could worship freely, they were simply following along in a long line of people of faith before them. Is this something that's easy to snap your fingers and, no, 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 it's, it's tough, it's hard. We need wise and good and, and solid people making, making good uh, rules and laws and figuring all this stuff out. But what I'm saying is this, as Christian people, we should never harden our hearts towards people who are suffering. Is the answer for every suffering person to become an American? No, that's, we, we know that that can't always happen. But we do know that we should be aligned with those people of faith, that we should be thinking about them and loving them and seeing how we can help those people who are running, who are leaving persecution toward the practice of freedom. When we celebrate Thanksgiving this year and we think about their movement, we can't just leave that in the past in history. 
We have to look and think about today those who are fighting, those who are looking for religious freedom in their own lives. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, God, you've called us to live a quiet life, to have that ambition and that goal. That is that we stay out of other people's business. We don't go around stirring up trouble. God, we, we simply seek to live lives that are productive and that have a good witness for living what is right. And we certainly ask for protection uh, from persecution. But God, we pray for the grace that we would continue to serve and honor you. Lord, even when uh, persecution comes our way, help us to be faithful. We lift up our brothers and sisters around the world who live in places where they are not free to meet openly. Places where there are crackdowns and there are increasing persecution on believers. Lord, be with them. Father, help us to be compassionate. And Lord, we know we cannot do all things, but you can do all things. Father, it's bigger than us, but it's not bigger than you. And God, we pray that you just help us to live um, lives that are honorable. So that when we are attacked or we are put down by others... Father, that the, that the record of truth will stand and will show that we've simply lived for what is right. God, we pray and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.